Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Oli Kune. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. And it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by Chris Singletary. Chris, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks guys, I'm really happy to be here. Great to have you on the show today, Chris. Um known and been speaking for a long time so it's been a long time coming this opportunity to to get you on the show so really do appreciate you taking time out of that busy schedule of yours and um, joining us here today no it's been great to get to know both of you and and have the conversations that we have in preparation and i'm looking forward to today absolutely absolutely well by way of an introduction chris you're currently rvp east at Corologics. And it's been a very interesting career because you've literally followed the playbook at the various stages of its evolution. And I think what's really exciting about the story we're going to share today, Chris, is that your career started back in P at PTC uh, where you had your first exposure to the playbook and you've literally followed it all the way through uh, to the modern day. So we're really going to get a real kind of insight into how the playbook has really evolved at the various organizations, companies like PTC, BMC, Opsware, um, AppDynamics, Lacework, and, and currently at, um, at, at Corologic. So really excited to, uh, to, to hear your story. Chris, just take us right to the beginning. How did it all begin? How did you first get into software sales? Yeah, well, uh, you know, when you graduate from college in Alabama and you need to get a job really quickly, at that time, sales wasn't quite the career it is today. And uh, if, you, uh, if you had a pulse and you had a little fire and energy, you, you for the most part, were, were going to get an opportunity. And uh, my boss at uh, PTC at the time, uh, Mike Logan, uh, who I'm still friends with today, and uh, it's a great guy, great person, uh, gave me that opportunity. And uh, little did I know the kind of impact that it was going to have, not only on me personally, but professionally as well. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it was a it was a bit of a, a, a baptism of fire, obviously, getting straight into one of the one of the most elite and one of the most most hardcore sales organizations. Obviously, you, you joined from from the military because your background was actually you, you joined the, uh, the the military um, which really set you up for for what uh, for 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 what was quite a, a a baptism of fire, I suppose is the best way to really describe it. So just take us right to the beginning, Chris. What were the early days like, and what were your expectations back then, and 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 you know what were your first experiences? Uh, kind of a short answer is you had an opportunity. Uh, you were on a ninety day contract. <laughs> ninety day contract. You either sold or you got fired. And I think there are a lot of stories about about that. I don't know that that would go over quite as well today. Uh, but uh, the nice thing about it is that every every person in the organization was under the same, you know, expectations. They had the same expectations under the same types of pressure, and uh, from your manager to your manager's manager, and uh, that created kind of a. I would say uh, a little bit of a camaraderie and a bonding experience because we all knew what was necessary and uh, we did what we had to do to make it happen. But to answer your question specifically, it was, you know, it was about revenue and it was about making the number and uh, there really wasn't an opportunity for failure. 
Sure. We've obviously heard a lot about these these stories of old, you know, these old hardcore sales environments. Um, but I suppose if you were to really compare it, bringing it to the modern day, in terms of what you experienced then and, and, and what you're experiencing now, how much of that has changed and how much of it is is still relevant today in terms of what you see? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, you know, and I probably have a, a little bit of a different perspective on it. Uh, personally, I think the expectations are very similar. The biggest difference is they're not articulated in the same way that they were when I first got started. It was very frank and direct conversation, you know, when I first got started. And now it's crafted in terms of, you know, expectations that are documented, one-on-one -on -one conversations that, that, that happen, uh, follow-up email that happens. Uh, it's just less frank and direct, uh, Simon. That seems to be the biggest difference. And, and having said that, there is a little more latitude. I think, you know, 90 days is not really uh, an expectation that, that, that I think an organization should, ha should have for a ramp of a new individual. It's really more about six to nine months uh, and it's about getting ahead of, of, of issues or potential problems or difficulty in ramp early. Yeah. What's interesting is that obviously you, you've been part of this community, this playbook community, right from when it, it kind of it, it formed. You've been at organizations like PTC, you know, you, you were then at BMC, App Dynamics, Lacework. In terms of the actual playbook itself, Chris, you know, what are your experiences and, and what, how was it communicated and articulated to you back then uh, uh, compared to how is it kind of being, being used today and, and just kind of take, t take us there. Yeah. I think also uh, one of the things that I have noticed or, or maybe the right way to describe it is, is how it's evolved. Yeah. Right. I think, I think early on at PTC, I mean, if you remember, you know, John uh, McMahon was still the VP of sales. Kaplan was still uh, a manager. Grant Wilson, who we all know from force management was still, was still there. You know, I was fortunate enough, like I said, to work for Mike and, and great leaders like Cindy Skak and John Garrison, Terry Powers, Rob Chapdelaine. Everyone took their, motivation and their, you know, and, and how to go about their job day to day from John. And, and I think at the time I didn't appreciate it. Right. Uh, I, now I do, uh, all these years later, but you know, one of the things I always thought was interesting about John was that he never asked you to do anything or his leaders. I didn't obviously work for him at the time. I was a rep in Birmingham working for Mike Logan, but he never asked any of his team to do anything that he wasn't not just capable of doing, but probably was the best at. Right. And a lot of these concepts and ideas came from him. And then as it trickled down into the field, the managers and the different leaders all contributed, you know, their experiences, things like medic. Right. That was the first time I ever heard the term medic was back at PTC. Right. Metrics, economic buyer, the decision process, criteria, pain and the champion. And that's where it was really ingrained in me that. You had to find pain, but none of this stuff was documented. I think that's what's interesting 
you know, versus what we have today. At the time, this was all conceptual. This was all discussed. We were always in the field. These were things that we would talk about. This is actually when you would get in the car and drive to your territory. Selling PTC, it was CAD CAM, right? We were selling, you know, to manufacturing places that were out, you know, in the middle of nowhere in, in, in West Alabama. So we had all these conversations going and coming around all of these concepts. I think that was the thing that I found most interesting, Simon, at the time, was that it was just being formalized. And then, of course, now everything is documented, right? Yeah. Medic, MedPIC has evolved. The value framework has evolved. Force management has evolved. All of this documentation that I think sometimes, you know, people interpret as being almost too literal and too prescriptive and miss sometimes the concepts behind the framework. Yeah, sure. It's really interesting reflecting on, on, on what, you're, what you're sharing because we've been recording this, this series now for, for, for a number of years and obviously a lot of our listeners and our viewers, um, you know, they take a lot of value from, from listening to these stories but it's easy for there to be a disconnect between the legends of old, right? And, you know, back in our day, this is how we used to do it. And I think what's what's really interesting about your case, Chris, is that you're still actually very hands-on to this day. You know, unlike you know many of the legends that we've had on on the show, um, I suppose what 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 what's really interesting about your situation is that you've still got that hunger, you've still got that desire, you still roll up the the sleeves, and there are some some very specific things that that you would that you continue to do to this day that have really helped you you know, from that past. And, and I suppose one of the, the core things is around top of the funnel activity. So just, just talk to us a little bit about the foundations of what, what that were laid previously and, and, and how you're applying those principles and, and perhaps what you're doing differently now. Yeah. I mean, I think at the time, uh, you know, early on prospecting was just, it was very, very different, right? I mean, it was all phone work. It was, you know, calling decision makers, you know, going through switchboards, you know, uh, that was one of the toughest things, you know, gatekeeper. We don't really hear that term anymore, right? And I think I'm dating myself a little bit, but I'm trying to, you know, convey the point here, right? Today, with all the information as freely available as it is, with products as freely available as they are, downloads, et cetera, you know, tech evolution with cloud and, and, and now with, with SaaS software, and, and just, again, how much buyers can can become educated without the help of the salesperson. I, I think that that is something that I think gets lost is, is, is really what is the challenge in prospecting today, right? The buyers, we're in a SaaS world where it's, uh, you know, there are 12 month contracts. It's not a situation where people are making 10 year, you know, decisions, perpetual software in the data center. We're constantly selling and there are hundreds, literally thousands of vendors and SDRs and AEs calling these same accounts. And that's the challenge. It's like, how do you differentiate? How do you stand out in, in a sea of, of hundreds and thousands? And I think it comes down to how you approach PG. And what I mean by that is, you know, we get people on the phone and we sound exactly like everyone else. We're making a pitch. Right. It's the same pitch over and over again, vendor to vendor. And it's a complete turnoff to the person on the other end of the line. Right. That connect is super valuable. That's the one thing that we don't quite have full control over is actually getting the connect. 
What we do have control over is what happens when we make it. How do we differentiate? And I, I, I find so, so many times reps are making that same, I'll say, almost monotone robotic pitch that sounds just like everyone else. Fast, efficient, cost-effective, right? This, you're not differentiating. So how do you do that? It really comes down to the research up front and building a legitimate PG plan. And what I mean by that, right, it's like, do you understand your ICP? Do you understand where you have the most success? Do you understand where you've been successful before? Do you understand the personas, right? Do you understand the cloud, the tech fit, the tech stack, the competition? That's a lot of information, right, for a rep to research and to build and then be able to then build a hypothesis, right, around what is going to be my message, right? And I think that's something that is very difficult today in some a place where I spend a lot of my time is building a legitimate and, and a PG plan where you can be consistent, you can be prescriptive and you be, can have, you know, sustained success. Right. And, and one of the things that that is differentiated is when you know more about that customer than they know about themselves potentially, and you at least know more of, than the other 100 reps that they spoke to in the previous week. It's less about your pitch and it's more about making a connection and showing that you invested in that person, in that company, in that persona, and you actually can identify them and the challenges that they have each and every day. That's a way to differentiate. This isn't rocket science. It's not something that I came up with, but it's something that's very difficult to put into practice. And to me, that's where I see the difference between being great and being mediocre. Personally, I don't think there's good. It's that you're either satisfactory or you're mediocre and you're just like the other reps or you understand, you know, what it takes to get in front of account and be different from the other salespeople. You haven't even had the opportunity to differentiate your product because you don't have credibility, right? And I think this is conceptually where... Um, Reps that are very successful, they understand this and they start to develop these behaviors and put it into practice. And that's really one of my main focuses. And it has been as of late in my career and definitely is today at CoreLogix. Chris, help us unpack that a little bit. So, so to break that down into you know your research and what areas you're researching on a customer and how you coach your reps, to research what what are the key things you're going after great question i think you know all of these tools and i'll say these this technographic information is available to organizations right whether it's free information or whether it's subscribed to but for us as an example right we understand we have a, it's evolving but we have a pretty good understanding of what our icp is where we can put ourselves in the best position to be successful. And, you know, for us, we use sources like Crunchbase as an example to understand the accounts inside of our territory is one example, right? We leverage Zoom Info and Sales Navigator to help build out not just the personas, but who are those contacts that fit those personas inside of our target accounts, right? And then we leverage, you know, information like Intricately, as an example, is another tool that we use, right? We gain information around what clouds are they in, right? What is their tech stack inside of the cloud? Did they just go through a lift and shift or are they, you know, a little bit more mature in their modernization effort? 
or were they born in the cloud, right? Some software companies have been around for a while and they're evolving. Some are brand, you know, are, are new, less than six, eight, 10 years old, right? So do they have Kubernetes? Do they still have VMs? That's a big swing, but you know, that's the point that I'm trying to make. Do you understand the tech stack? Do you understand the competition? If you know those things, that based on what your product does and the value that provide, you can build a pretty good hypothesis. Right. We understand the pain that we saw. We're looking for the characteristics in these accounts that say to us, hey, this company has the problems that we solve. And if we'll have an opportunity to be successful here, we just have to break in and have a conversation with the right person. Yeah, I think it's it, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I think, again, whilst we've we've got you here with us today, Chris, Help us understand that you know now that you've got all of the all of these different platforms and um, sources to be able to identify this information. Take us back to you know the early stages of you know PTC or even BMC probably when these tools didn't exist. Where were you obtaining this information and how were you able to do that? Because this part of the playbook has existed since day one, but there's it back then it surely couldn't have been as easy and information was not as freely available as it is today. Right. That's correct. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out some terms that some of your listeners may not have heard before. And it's called hot knocking. It's called foot canvassing. It's called uh, physical uh, prospecting, knocking on doors after 5 PM when the person that's uh, I'll say the administrative assistant that's guarding the entrance to the building has already gone home, right? Uh, I think I may have told you the story. One of the best cold calls I, I ever had, uh, we were actually doing a sales call across the street at a manufacturing company called Emerson Electric, right? They basically built radiant heat elements. Uh, the company across the street was a Dover company. They built trash compactors, right? <laughs> and, and it was late in the day. We had been at, at Emerson for several hours doing a POC and, you know, I'm with Mike and, and, and I, you know, frankly, I, if it, not for Mike, I might not have done it because, but he was always, you know, he practiced what he preached. He goes, you think, you think anyone's still over there? And it's like 5.30, 5.45 on a Friday afternoon, by the way, in, in West Alabama. And, and I don't know, he goes, let's go. So we drive across the street and we walk in and, and, and no one's at the desk. Don't really hear a lot. We start knocking on the on the door and asking, you know, is anybody anybody back there? Anybody there? We did get in. We thought someone was there, right? We thought it might have been someone doing some cleanup. But it was the CEO of Marathon Equipment, Ed Fernari, that walked around the corner. He was the last one there, and he goes, "What are you guys doing?" And I said, "Well, we're making a cold call." And he started laughing, and he just said, "Come on back. Let's have a chat." <laughs> and it was one of my best deals and one that I still am proud of and talk about today. Amazing. Amazing. Does any of that still exist today? Does that, do you, do you still encourage some elements of that or is it just? It's so different, Ollie. I mean, I think if we did that today, we might get arrested. <laughs> so uh, it's not something that we do today. Uh uh, Chris, a question that I have is, is there a trade-off between research and actually going out there and, 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 and doing, right? Can you, can you get stuck in the research phase or over-prepare 
rather than actually go out and, and be proactive and make things happen? And, and what is that trade-off? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it is something that, that younger reps struggle with because it's not something that they've done before, right? If that makes sense. Once you put it into practice, like I can look at a list of 10, 20 accounts. I can go through Crunchbase. I can go through SalesNav and ZoomInfo. I can go through intricately. I look at the job boards. I know exactly where I'm going. I can profile those accounts in, you know, 10 minutes, right? But it's, it's repetition, right? It's muscle memory. It's doing it over and over and over where it's not just a practice, but it becomes a behavior. And, and, and Simon, I think you're right. It's just not something that people are used to doing. In many cases, they haven't, it's not they haven't been trained, but they haven't really practiced it. And, and that's why it's something that, that, that we talk about on our team every single day. Uh, and in some cases, twice a day, whether it's one-on-ones, whether it's our team call on Monday, our forecast call on Thursday, so much of the conversation we have is around how to become efficient and effective in our top of, in top of funnel. If you understand your ICP, second, I, I think what I understood to be the second part of your question, if, if it's truly the, the ICP, right, there is never going to be a wasted effort in terms of doing that research. The only variable there in our SaaS world is the subscription renewal, as an example, right? Are they inside of six months? Are they, you know, or, 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 you know, or do they have more than six months? There's a lot of things that we do and can do and other companies can do, right, to help with those last three months, whether it might be a month free, whether it might be a deferred payment. And, and companies are always evaluating. So if it's not a prospect for us today because of the renewal, they will be a prospect for us in three months. This world moves so fast, right? Like we were, you know, we used to have nine month sales cycles, 10 year decisions. Now we have one year decisions and nine months of work, we have to collapse into 90 days. And that is another big difficulty, I think, you know, for sellers today. Hell, it'd be difficult for me if I had to, to, to do that type of work today as a new person getting into this world, right? It's very difficult to be a SaaS seller today, in my opinion. And, and that's one of the reasons. I was just, I was just about to jump in and just to give um, our viewers some visibility uh, on your career, right? So 1997 to 2000, as Simon mentioned, you started as a territory sales rep, did that for three years at PTC moved to Oracle, application sales manager from 2000 to 2004, 2004 to 2006, Lawson Software. And this is a really interesting part. I think a lot of our viewers have obviously, you know, know us for our Blade Logic story. Obviously, you went to um, Opsware, um, which was obviously a big Blade Logic um, uh, competitor, you know. As somebody on the other side and facing up against Opsware, Tell us a little bit about that story. Tell us a little bit about the dynamics from the other side of the, the, the competition, let's say. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I got involved with it. I worked with uh, a guy by the name of Kino Helmy at PTC, right, for several years. He was uh, a, a rep alongside the two of us at PTC when I, when I got started. And uh, he was the VP at, at Opsware. And Kino reached out. We'd been friends, stayed in touch. There was an opportunity to go to work uh, for him. And that was the connection there, right? This is, this is when, you know, server automation and the automation space was, was new and evolving. You mentioned Blade Logic. I had friends, obviously, that were at Blade Logic, and I also had some friends that were at Opsware. And uh, a lot of similarities, Ollie, right? A lot of similarities in terms of we go to market, but maybe some of the presentation and the leadership styles were a little bit different. 
And I think for me personally, uh, it was a great experience to see a different viewpoint. And what I mean by that, I mentioned earlier, you know, John, very cerebral, understood the tech, spoke, didn't matter if he was speaking to an engineer or a CEO, he could articulate the value proposition in a very consumable way. Mark, on the other hand, also super smart, could do the same thing, but his style was more gregarious, right? He was a great motivator, right? And, and, and that was one of the things that I liked about working in that organization because it was kind of bigger than life, right? You know, uh, the former, you know, Netscape uh, founders were there, right? Loud Cloud that evolved into, into Opsware, right? There was a lot there to get excited about. Right. And, uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, I had a chance to beat Blade No Logic every single time <laughs> we competed against them. Uh, and, and this is a really interesting story. And for our viewers and listeners that may not necessarily be as familiar with the story, um, Chris is talking about John McMahon, who was the VP of sales for Blade Logic, and Mark Cranny, who was the VP of sales for um, Opsware at the time. And there was an interesting, whether it's healthy competition, but there's probably some, I don't know if there's any stories that you can share. I've heard of one story at um, uh, the sales kick as an example. Yeah, I think you might know more stories than me, but I don't know if everyone knows. Some people may have read Ben's book, but Ben's a, a big boxing fan and historian. Right, Ben Horowitz, ben Horowitz. right, and uh, he was the CEO at uh, at Opsware at the time, and I believe this happened on more than one occasion. Right, we had a big boxing ring brought into the sales kickoff, and uh, Mark was the star of the show in boots, trunks, gloves, and from what I remember, he was a pretty good boxer. <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he 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 demonstrated and carried himself very well in the ring. <laughs> and and who was he boxing? I think his name was John, but I don't really remember. <laughs> that was a great story. A great story, that one. So look, obviously furthering your career, 2006 to 2007 was, as we mentioned, at the Opsware, went through the, obviously, the HP acquisition and then went from Mark Cranny over to John McMahon and bought into to BMC in 2007. Tell us about the, you've obviously mentioned some of the subtleties in difference in, um, you know, Mark and John, um, but is there anything else that you started to learn at BMC that's really helped you and shaped you in, in where you are today? Yeah, I think this is where I think, Ollie, that we started to see a lot more, I'll say, formalizing the playbook, uh, documenta documenting the playbook, right? Uh, John and, and Grant had, had started force management and they had, again, created, uh, uh, you know, all of the trainings and the, uh, and the different uh, documentation that we're all used to seeing today, right? The value framework, right? And, uh, and John uh, invested heavily in that training for us and this is where a lot of those, in my, you know, where I experience all the concepts uh, crystallized, right? So what did it really mean? What, we talked through all the definitions, not just of MedPIC, what did the acronym stand for, but what would you do? What can you do? What activities could you put into practice, 
to get the information to help you progress the deal. At the end of the day, it's all it's about qualifying your time and deal progression. This is also something that I think sometimes people get a little bit hung up on. It's not a check in the box, right? It's not for me as a manager. It's not for, you know, uh, my boss, Matt, manager. This is for a rep, right, to hold themselves accountable. And I think when people start to leverage that internally in their business, again, that's an opportunity from to be able to go from mediocre to be able to, to, to be great. BMC invested in, in, in their people. And this is where I saw an opportunity and I started to see the differences. We had great training at PTC, but this at BMC, you know, everything had just evolved, right? And we would spend hours and John would invest, take us out of the field. We would go and learn how to put the value framework into practice. Right. And this is where another part of medic that's that's uh, a little bit difficult for people is the metrics part. Right. Right. I mean, if you think about, you know, the value framework, right, it's as is and the negative consequences associated. It's, you know, future state and the positive business outcomes. It's the required capabilities to bridge that gap. How do you measure success? How are we going to measure success? How are we going to to uh, to show progress to the leadership team? Uh, internally an organization that's going to invest in our our solution. It was these types of exercises and and this type of detail, frankly, that we learned, that we were trained on, that we put into practice and that we were ultimately held accountable to. And I I think at BMC is where a lot of people, you know, started to see, you know, obviously many of them had come from Blade Logic. You know, Blade Logic was acquired. A lot of these people had been putting it into practice already. Many people from the PTC days. So it just became a culture of this is the best and, and you know, really a proven way to not only be successful as an individual, but to be successful as a team and to be successful as a sales organization. Chris, you talk a lot about the importance of leading indicators and accountability and, and how that really does help you with um with with account progression just just talk to us a little bit about some of your 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 kind of tenets of of you know what leading indicators are most important and how you really manage that yeah i think some of that has also evolved over time and i think it's become much more important again like i said in in, in the SaaS world right um, because things move so quickly i think for me personally um uh, we talk about 36, 24, 6, and 4. And that's 36 net new discos in a quarter. That's 24 uh, product demonstrations in a quarter. You know, that's a 60% conversion rate, which is not, you know, maybe best in class, but is a reasonable expectation if we approach PG in the correct way and we're calling on the right ICP. It's six, uh, I'll say POC planning or trial planning or opportunities to have an EB go no conversation and then four POCs all in a quarter. And those are those are challenging numbers in, in, in today's market, but those are numbers that over time have proven to be successful in the SaaS world. So that breaks down to three and two every week, 3624, uh, right? So we look at previous week, we look at our three and two, and we talk about the disposition, we talk about the outcomes, we plan for the, the discos that were converted, and we look at in the new week, what are the discos? Have we done the right prep, right? And, uh, you know, that's something that I, uh, myself and the team, spend a lot of time on because this puts us in a position. We all, you know, we always talk about sales execution and you have to be great at it, but you have to have an opportunity 
to actually conduct a great sales campaign. And it all starts up front with PG. And are we doing the right things each and every day? New accounts to the funnel, new research, new contacts. You know, is it the right amount of outreach to make sure that we're hitting three and two? Because three and two has been proven to put us in a position to be successful, not in the next 90 days, but the 180, right? And that's what we want to look at is the six-month rolling forecast. Obviously, you, you you speak about accountability. And I think, again, as we're fortunate enough to, to have you on the show, you know, back in your days, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, if you, you were running a 90-day um, contract, right? If you didn't do it, you were out. How are you now as a modern-day leader ha- helping to drive that accountability? And what is it and what are some of the techniques you use to drive that accountability across those metrics? Right. One, it's just share. A lot of it is to do with transparency. I, I just, you know, and I, that seems like a little bit of a, of a cliche, but, uh, and it is in many ways, but also very hard to put into practice in a lot of situations, right? And what I mean by that is I'm always showing my dashboards as an example. And, and uh, again, I, I, sometimes that can have a negative connotation. It's not meant as a manager sitting across the desk from a rep, right? Especially in the Zoom world, it's more about, hey, we're on the same page, looking at our activity, right? Looking where we have been successful in our conversions, looking at where we have not been successful, talking about why, where did we potentially make a mistake, right? Was it the wrong person, right? Was it the wrong title? Did we make a mistake in, in the research from a tech fit perspective? But it's always talking about outcomes, right? I feel like today that that's an easier way or a more uh, consumable way for reps to understand and to grow and to learn. And it takes a lot of time, right, to do that, to spend that time. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I speak to my team every day, multiple times by phone, Slack, and text, not because I'm checking up on them, but are we putting into practice the lessons that we, that we have learned, the things where we may have had shortcomings? Are we, are we filling those potential gaps, right? And I think what that does is, especially when we're, we're, we're distant and we're, we're spread out, you know, reps need to feel like you support them. Again, a little bit of a cliche, but it, it's not about the words. It's about the actions, right? Do Does the leader spend enough time to dig into that rep's business? Not from an oversight perspective, but being able to articulate why you're doing this and the why is I want to help you get better. I want to help you get better at your craft, right? I want you to be successful, and again, a lot of cliches, I haven't seen it, unfortunately, put into practice enough by, by sales leaders. And frankly, it's one of the reasons I still is today, right? I mean, do I think about going on the golf course? Yes. But do I, do I, do I get a lot of satisfaction today uh, helping people be successful early in their career? Absolutely. And ultimately, you know, this is, one thing I want to uh, convey here, accountability ultimately should be the individual, if that makes sense, right? I, I want to be responsible for, for them as individual contributors and as a team. I want them to hold themselves accountable, 
right? And I think sometimes there's it's nuanced there. I can kick someone's ass all day long and put whatever numbers I want in front of them to demonstrate short shortcomings. But it's different to put them in a position to understand where they have areas of improvement and show them how to close, you know, to get to, to where they want to be and them holding themselves accountable to get there. It's a different dynamic. And I, I feel like that's where sales leaders, first line sales leaders can have the most impact. One of the areas where they can have the most impact to their team. That's, that's great insight. Um, and, and really kind of, um, it's really kind of good to hear hear your perspective of of how you really kind of manage and and really your style and 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 I think that's that's someone that's that's been part of this community for 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 a relatively long time from kind of an old school to to see how you're really embracing the differences and 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 the different approaches which are required for modern selling. I think it's really really profound in itself. Just going back to some of the the, the kind of the, the fundamentals of medic, you really do focus your your efforts on on some. You, you obviously believe in, in in all of medic, but what are the key what are the key parts of medic that you think are are, are most important or the, or even more non negotiable than others? If 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 that's fair to say. Pain and champion, <laughs> identify pain and, and champion I and C. Uh, you know, it's not that it's not all important, but if you think about the acronym itself, some of it is a little more downstream, right? Early on, top of funnel, pain and champion is where we put ourselves in, in the, the potentially the best situation to be successful. And if you think about pain, right? You know, I think there might be some questions. Some people may have a different feeling on which one comes first. Personally, it's pain, right? John Kaplan used to say, no business issue, no business. And I still remember that today, right? And if you think about what, you know, he's absolutely right, right? What are the, where is the pain? Usually it manifests technically first because we're selling a technical complex product. People that are really good at what they do understand how to link that technical pain to a negative consequence, a negative impact on the business. That's higher level stuff that's not easy to do and people need 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 guidance right people need sales leaders to help them to help them through that so i am of the opinion that pain is the most important thing again not rocket science i think and then who is impacted by that pain who is the person negatively impacted by that pain at multiple levels right because we need multiple champions in an account very difficult to do you got to identify the person right the person impacted by that pain you have to develop them, right? And uh, you have to test them, which is also very difficult for, for young sellers to do sometimes because they might be dealing with someone that might be a little bit further along in their career, right? And have they built that credibility? Can they test? And then the last piece that I, I learned probably too late in my career is use them, right? You don't want to spend all of that time identifying and building and testing not to use them when the time is right. Use them to understand the paper process. Use them to, to not only understand the criteria, but shape it, right? Understand the buying process, right? It's like once you have that champion, use that individual to ultimately a mutual benefit. Are there any common challenges around champion 
building or champion identification that you you kind of see? I think in our world today, in many cases, it does start kind of at a grassroots level. I think, uh, and, and if you think about that individual, that person in many cases, they're not in an office anymore. It's not that we're, we're not able to go and see them the way that we may have been able to do in the past, right? They're, you know, a lot of these organizations have downsized. These people are, are uh, you know, working a lot more hours, right? And probably for not more money, and, you know, and, uh, and they've seen, you know, maybe peers, you know, come and go in an organization. I think from the champion perspective, we have, as sellers, we have to understand the per, not just the persona, but a little bit about the person and what they're going through in their, in their job, in their role, in their function. Uh, you know, it's not just about us making a pitch. It's like, can we be a touch empathetic to the person that we're speaking to? And do we have, do we have an opportunity to make a, a connection with them uh, in, in that way? I think that is, is where, because it is challenging, Simon, right? These people aren't naturally, uh, you know, I'll say sometimes willing to go and, and, and represent a vendor inside their organization. But when you're able to make that connection, you know, that's, that's gold. That's where you, 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 you can start to build. But I think it starts with really understanding, you know, the challenges. It goes back to the PG earlier about the research, about the tech, about the fit, right, about your hypothesis. Do you understand the role and the challenges of the role that that person has every day and what that potentially, how that potentially impacts them personally, right? Family, right? Things like that. I know this might be a little bit different, but these are the things that, that, that put you in a position to identify a person and then build them up in the world that we're in today of SaaS, quick moving, fast decisions, right? Zoom, you know, I think we're, we all struggle with that sometimes. And I think being a touch empathetic and understanding your buyer is the best way to do that. Incredible, Chris. So going back to your career and your, you know, you, I suppose your career development, you left BMC 2007 to 2011 and you took a very different path. You know, you didn't, um, you know, necessarily follow um, many of the leaders or you you may have done, maybe missed misunderstood here but obviously you joined cisco as an organization um what, what was the reason for that move chris no i think that's a, a good question I, I i joke sometimes and it's it is a joke because i had great experiences there I, i've had the dubious honor of being acquired by by cisco twice right once was through title software and then the second time was through app dynamics so i started out at a smaller, uh, more of a startup type organization. Like I said, the first time with Tidal, the second time with, with AppDynamics, that ultimately were, were both acquired. The first time I was acquired almost immediately and ended up staying at Cisco for almost five years. The second time, uh, you know, I stayed for a little bit and then I thought that it was, it was time to move on. Cisco is a very different 
type of organization. But I think for me personally, uh, it was an opportunity. And what I mean by that is, you know, that was the first time it was very early when Cisco was experimenting with being a software company. Now you see the earnings and you see anything about Cisco, you know, it's just their software. At the time they were totally a hardware company. We were a real small incubated, I'll say well-funded startup inside of an organization like Cisco. And, and for me, that was, a, that was the challenge, right? And it was like, how could, how could we build a software company, you know, in this case, our, our investor was Cisco instead of, a, you know, a, a VC or, or a PE firm. And it was a challenge for me to, and, and it was an opportunity for me to build an organization, to hire an organization, to, to, to train an organization and enable one, and ultimately one that would, became successful. Uh, over a hundred million dollar run rate, and then it became, you know, uh, uh, you know, it was no longer an in incubation, right? It was kind of mainstream inside of the Cisco world. Had opportunity to be a first, second, and third line leader, and I learned a lot. And one of the things that helped that I didn't really realize was a uh, was was something that I would leverage later on. It was like how to operate in a highly matrixed and you know large organization with different functions and different BUs that sometimes worked together and sometimes competed, but. Uh, for me, it was a, a, a great experience and, uh, you know, one that I learned a lot from. So obviously moving on from Cisco, um, joined as a vice president of sales for, for Yota, um, 2015, 2016, before being called upon at app dynamics to that in 2016, talk to us about that, that move and that transition there. Yeah, well, I think at, at Yoda, there was an opportunity for me to go back and work, uh, you know, within the network. And what I mean by that, Vic Vishnavi, former CMO at, uh, at Blade Logic and then at BMC, was the CEO at Yoda and John was on the board. And, and that, was, that was really the opportunity for me. Uh, there was a change. There was, a, 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 I'll say, a change in direction and, uh, at Yoda. And uh, I ended up staying on. And, uh, you know, Richard, CEO today, great, great guy, great professional, but the opportunity to go back and work within the community at AppDynamics and, and at that time where AppDynamics was, was, was an easy decision for me. Amazing. And so obviously AppDynamics, you were there 2016, 2019, you know, which you'd obviously been for five years, um, you know, within the Cisco incubation, you know, going back to, you know, the team, how did the playbook evolve in that period of time? What, what, what did, what did you have seen transition in, in those four or five years? Cause that's quite a big inception point of, you know, when yeah, I think, I, I think this is where we started to see Ollie. we started to see people, uh, that were in the, in the community early on, sort of make some tweaks, right? We all hear the value pyramid about, we've all heard the value pyramid. Now this is more BMC, but that's, that's where, that, that's another example of how, you know, things evolved and things became more documented, right? All around understanding the organization that you're calling on and demonstrating to the buyer that we understand 
not just your business, but the potential challenges associated with your business, right? And then when we got to App Dynamics, that next evolution, right? The three wands, right? We some, that's where we started to hear, you know, that terminology. Why anything? Why App Dynamics? Why now? Right? It's just that evolution of being more prescriptive, you know, with the playbook, right? It became, you know, this is where thing we started to see the evolution of cloud, started to see the evolution of subscription, you know, revenue, right? It was about not just why would they buy, but when are they going to buy, right? We need to understand the timing associated. So this is, you know, that is something that I, that, that I saw evolve and become more formalized and, and, and something that, that we still use today. Incredible. And so obviously app dynamics was, so obviously you're taking on as a regional director at that point, um, you know, stepping into your first management role within the playbook community. Um, how, how were you able to use your learnings and use all the skills that you've learned through your, you know, your, your past to really now start to apply yourself as a, as a leader? Yeah, I just, I, you know, probably not uncommon from other other individuals that you've spoken to, Ali. I I tried to look back at who were the, this is going to come off the wrong way. Who were my best sales leaders, right? And what it, what was it that I liked about them? And at the same time, you know, who were the ones that I thought maybe weren't where they should have been? And, and what did I not like about that, right? And, and, and really looking backwards, you know, in my career about, you know, where were, where was, where was I most successful and why, where was the team most successful and why, and, and, and really started to try and, and, and understand that. And that helped me kind of formalize and, and conceptualize for myself, the kind of leader I wanted to be. And what that was, was, was hands-on, right? Uh, you know, I used, you know, Kaplan used to use the term, two-sided discovery, right? Uh, sitting on the same side of the table. And it really applies as a sales leader. Are you side by side or are you across the table? And, uh, you know, that's a little bit over the top, but I'm trying to convey the point, right? I want someone that's going to build me up. I wanted someone that was going to build me up and I wanted to be the kind of leader that was going to build, build the team up, right? knowing that, that, that I was going to have their back, knowing that I wasn't going to ask them to do anything that I wasn't, one, willing to do, but also very capable of doing. And, you know, doing sales calls, making uh, PG calls, executing demonstration and product calls, handling the EV meeting. I wanted to, to show them how to do things the right way instead of just kind of telling them, so to speak. But in put being, putting myself in a position to show them, I also had to hold myself accountable that I did it the right way, right? Because, you know, naturally you're, you're looking to your sales leader for guidance on, on you know, what, how, what's the best way to do it, right? What's the right way to do it, right? What's best in class, right? Whatever term that you want to use. So it, it, it made me hold myself to a higher standard because I wanted to, I wanted to be the person that could do it in the right way. 
Incredible. Um, so moving on from there, obviously you had three years, um, very successful career at App Dynamics. Then moved on to to Zenos as the the head of um, North America. Um, then on to Lacework, and not to skip out um, those two big chunks, but I, I think you know I'd be really really keen to really talk about today and to to where you are um, at Coralogics and the mission and and why Coralogics and, and and really the mission you're on at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's pretty apparent. I've always been in, I'll say the monitoring space, right? I still call it monitoring for, you know, because it's just ingrained in my, in my head, right? But the evolution of it, it's a must have, right? Uh, Lacework was a great organization. Again, got to, to go work for, for members, uh, you know, in the community and, and for people that you've, you've had on the show, right? And, uh, but for me, you know, that is something that I've always I've been around. It's a, it's a tech and an ecosystem that I that I understand uh, very well. And uh, even though traditionally, you know, it's a must-have, some people could say it's a commodity, right? And, uh, and and I think that's what that's that question and understanding how uh, CoreLogics is different was was something that I that I. I needed to find out when the opportunity was presented to me and the more and more research I did about it, not just the tech itself, but how it evolved, the founders associated, right? You could tell really quickly that there was differentiation. And in the market that's been around for several decades, right? And tech that's been around for at least that monitoring and been around for, for several decades, right? What what was different about CoreLogics that was going to allow me to not just represent, but represent with, with confidence, right? Bells and whistles, features, functions, they're all about the same. How are you going to differentiate? It is with the architecture. It is with the platform. And that truly is how CoreLogics is different, right? And the things that that architecture allows us to provide to our customers. Help us understand that, because I think you you you're onto a really 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 um, I think interesting subject. Because as some uh, as recruiters by day, pod, uh, podcasters by night, um, <laughs> we've obviously seen the 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 evolution of the observability space, starting with your legacy platforms from the App Dynamics and the Splunks to now you know your modern day where we're seeing you know lots and lots of vendors coming up grafana labs observing you guys um how are you you know how what are your key differentiators and and what does separate you from your competition sure sure well i think you know i'll try to be as brief as i as i as i can on that with with conveying the, the message right some of it is about being a young company ollie right shipping product you know, really in 2017, a relatively young company, but what does that allow us to do? That has allowed us to leverage the most modern tech in actually building the platform. What I mean by that, right? It's Kubernetes inside of AWS, right? There's RocksDB and Kafka Streams built on top of that cluster. That is all part of the architecture, super modern, right? Taking advantage of, of not just modern tech, but you know, some of the most modern open source products. Our organization, you know, is probably some of the biggest contributors to many of the open source projects. Otel, OpenTelemetry being one of them, right? So modern tech that people understand 
and want to be associated with, number one. But what does that allow us to do, Ollie? What is the benefit to the customers, right? If you think about how everything is done today by every other vendor, they ingest data, telemetry data, logs, metrics, traces, security data. They ingest that data and then they have to index it, meaning they have to make a copy of that, transport it to their cloud, into their data store, then analyze it, and then ship results back to the customer. That's, there's, there's latency, right? There's scale issues. And more importantly today, with the evolution of the cloud, expense issues. And what I mean by that, you know, the cloud, you know, the data volumes are, are growing faster than, than most revenue uh, streams, right? And, and the way the cost models are set up for many of the competitors, that 10x data spike results in unpredictable costs, overages each and every month as companies continue to roll out product into their, into their clouds. So what we're able to do, what's different is we don't have to index any of that data. We, we have a data pipeline called Streama. That's what the product is called. That's the data pipeline. We ingest and analyze in-stream, in the customer environment, store data in their cloud storage. If they're in AWS, S3, uh, we analyze real-time alerting, real-time anomaly detection right inside of the customer's cloud without having to index. Super fast, super performant, very cost-efficient, many cases 30, 40, even 50% less than the incumbent, right? And... Uh, that's really our value proposition. And that's what is resonating with many people today because they have seen the problem that legacy architectures present them from an observability perspective, you know, in their clouds. Right. And, you know, and not to over talk about, you know, the, this, because I think it's, it's a really interesting subject and, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. And I think, you know, as an organization, obviously that, that cost saving is fantastic for the customer. And obviously as an organization, you have significant cost savings. But I think, you know, you're doing something exceptional as well when it comes to how you're reinvesting that money. Can you tell us a little bit more around that reinvestment of money and where that's going? Yeah, it's a great question. That's also something that's very unique to CoreLogix. It's our it's our support model. And I even hate to use the term support. I'll say it's our our services model. And what I mean by that, our costs are, are, are lower because we're not indexing. You think about other vendors, one of their most significant expenses are their are their cloud expense. That's not the situation for us, right? Yes, we do pass some of that savings on to our to our customers, but we also invest that money into our services organization. And what, what, what do I mean by that, right? 24 by seven in-app chat support with a level three DevOps engineer. I mean, that is readily available in any screen within the platform. We're contractually obligated to respond to our customers within two minutes. Right now it's less than 30 seconds. They'll have a live person willing to get on a Zoom chat, Teams chat, WebEx chat with the customer and work out their issue. We don't have all these tickets, so to speak, right? It is all live. Our mean time to resolution right now is less than 60 minutes across all of our issues, over 2,500 customers. That doesn't exist in the market anywhere and is extremely unique. And that's one of the reasons why once we get involved 
in a, in a cycle with the customer and we demonstrate that to them live in the POC, they're blown away. It's not only support. It's not only support. It is not an extra cost. It is part of the subscription. So not only they're getting that 24 by 7, 365 support, also with the organization, they get onboarding services, they get deployment services, they get enablement services, migration services. We move customers off incumbents. We're not going in the greenfield. They have 100, 1,000 dashboards. We migrate all of them into our platform on behalf of the customer, and it's not an additional cost. It's part of the subscription. And that support and that manner of it stays with the customer for the lifetime with their customer core logics. Very differentiated. Yeah, it's it's a great story, as I said. And, you know, having been fortunate enough to work with you, Chris, I think, you know, when you start to look at the, the team that you're building, um, you can see, you know, some of the most formidable sales reps, are, you know, obviously joining you. So, you know, I just want to wish you continued, you know, success and, you know, good luck in the future when it comes to, you know, building Coralogics, because I think there's, a, there's obviously a great future ahead of you there. Totally believe in what we're doing. It's a great situation. It's a great company and it's a great time to join. <laughs> Amazing. Great. So uh, I think this is the time. I think this is a perfect time, Chris, to really reflect on what we've what we've spoken about today and, and what we've really heard. And I personally have really enjoyed the conversation today, Chris, because I think it's really given us a great insight into how the playbook has really evolved from, you know, the old the old um, chest beating days of the the, the, the PTC days, um, you know, right to the kind of the modern day. And I think what's what's really interesting is that the actual playbook itself hasn't changed because, sorry, hasn't changed so much because actually at the core of it is a mindset. And, and w- whether the actual way it's being executed is being interpreted and, and kind of bent into different directions to accommodate the... the, the uh, uh, the demands of customers and 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 the demands of of the sellers the actual mindset actually really still is is the same mindset it's still about qualification it's still about bringing value it's still about putting yourself in the shoes of your customer really understanding their pains and really being able to kind of formalize a, a scientific approach to, to selling to enhance the, the, the predictability of, of results and i think um, you know, it's been really great spending this time with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and I'm absolutely certain that many of our uh, our viewers and our uh, and our, our listeners have have taken so much from uh, from this session today. So thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Ali. I really enjoyed it, and I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been great to to get to know both of you, and it was awesome to meet you <laughs> when I was over in London. And I look forward to working with you. Absolutely. Chris, you're an amazing guy. You're a wicked person to work with. So um, really do appreciate your time and and thank you so much for sharing in such such great wisdom. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Please do subscribe to our various channels, iTunes, Spotify and YouTube. All the links are in the um, description below. But thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed this session.